Two thoughts there. First of all, their uh, half marathon medals come with handy bottle openers. Did you notice that? <laughs> uh, <coughs> secondly, uh, can, can you imagine that? Uh, you're half, you're, you're, you're to what you believe would be the finish line of a 3.1 mile race, and you learn that you're actually in a 13.1 mile race. Uh, I think I'd done, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much checking out at that point. But she just kept on going, putting one foot in front of the other until she finished that race. And I, 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 I saw that a few months ago and thought, man, that's, that's life. You just kind of find yourself in those situations where uh, it's much harder than what you thought it would be. It's much harder than what you feel it should be. It just keeps going. And you, you have a decision. Am I, am I done? And this is especially true in a walk with God um, because it certainly can be much more difficult than what we feel like it should be at times. And we have to decide, okay, am I done? Am I just going to go do things my own way now? Or am I going to keep going and keep trying to please God, keep trying to live out the plan that I believe God has for my life? Or am I just sort of done with all that? And so we're going to talk a little more about that. This is, we, we started that last Sunday. And we're going to spend a little more time on that uh, this Sunday until we get into the inner peace stuff of next week. So there are, and we said this last week, there are many passages in the New Testament that compare walking with God or spiritual growth and uh, running a race uh, or physical activity. And so I I mentioned this last week. I want to read it again to you. One of those passages comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or trophy or medal. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, switches metaphors there. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified from the prize. So Paul says there, and there are plenty of other places, that we need to think about our spiritual growth much like we would think about running a race. And his advice is while you're running, while you're living, while you're trying to give your best to God, Think about running as for a prize. Keep your eye on the prize. Don't lose sight of what your run is actually about. So one of the things that I would like for you to take a second and think about, what are you after? Have you ever really thought about that? What what are you after? Is it friendship? Is it social status? Is it uh, power? Is it some sort of uh, consumer milestone? Is it to be seen as a good parent? Is it to follow Jesus? Is it to um, win something, gain something, have something? If you were to journal about what am I after? 
What are some of the things that immediately pop into your mind? So I want that to sort of be underneath it all while we read this and learn about this stuff today. In thinking about the prize, what's your prize? What are you after, really? What does your wallet say you're after? What does your calendar say you're after? What would your spouse say you're after? What would your friends say you're after? What would your kids say you're after? What are you after? So let that marinate a little bit. And let me read to you Paul's life story because it might be easy for us to say, well, Paul says keep your eye on the prize, but what does he know about it? And, and he's like a stained glass window saint. How hard could that life be? Well, here's Paul's description of what his race looked like. This is from 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians as they say. Haha. <laughs> no? Imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one, meaning he was whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." So Paul is, is describing a, a difficult life. Like Paul, Paul's ministry was no cakewalk. Paul said yes to following Jesus, and his life didn't get easier. And so for me, I'm inspired by that, and I think it's valuable for me to look at a guy who went through all of this and endured to the completion of God's will for his life, and he said my strategy was to focus on the prize. So in addition to thinking about what you're after, what I'd like for you to also think about this morning is, what's your list? What's your Second Corinthian list? What's your, and I don't mean to make light of this, what's your tale of woe? What is your sad story? Because Paul lists all those things and those are all real. And we all have our very real struggles in life. The health problems, the marriage problems, the parenting problems, the financial problems, the relational problems, the whatever. I mean, we all have our benchmarks in life that we look at and we say, man, it was really hard or it is really hard walking through this. So again, I want you to be thinking through what are you after and what are your challenges in life? What makes the race hard? Because as we look to the prize or we learn more about the prize, we need to remember that we should apply that to the very real struggles that we have in our life. So let's talk a little bit about this prize. What is it that Paul seems to be saying the prize is? How can we be more appreciative of the prize so that we can approach the difficulties in life with a little more 
perseverance. And so to look at the prize and, and sort of uncover what the prize really is, I want to go to Luke 15. And we read the first part of this parable earlier this year. This is the, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. It is inexhaustible. You could spend your whole life looking at Jesus' parable on the prodigal son and find new gems inside of this parable uh, with each new season of life. It's absolutely inexhaustible. I'm going to sort of walk through quickly the first half of the parable because we, we talked about it back around Memorial Day and spend most of my time on the second half of the parable because I think it speaks to um, the prize for us as we live our life. So here we go. Remember that this teaching starts out with a problem in that the religious leaders of the day have a they're frustrated by where Jesus is spending his time. Jesus is spending his time with people who are far from God, with the social outcasts. He's making his time about people who are not walking with God. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're frustrated with Jesus because in their world, because they were the religious leaders in a religious culture, they're used to it being all about them. This is, this is really, this is important for me as an only child because I'm really good at making it all about me. Like, what do, you, what do you mean it's not about me? And so the Pharisees are observing this behavior from Jesus focused on other people, and they're kind of like, hey, I'm right here. What are you doing with them over there? Why are you acting the way you're acting? Why are you doing things that, that would even kind of make them feel like there was the slightest bit of approval for who they are in their lifestyle. So they're frustrated. Jesus then launches. So they're feeling entitled. Jesus then launches into this set of parables. So here we go. He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance or the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, this was absolutely culturally insane. This was a culture that obsessed over respect for, for the, um, the patriarch of the family. You would never look to your dad and say, I want my inheritance now. You're as good as dead to me. But this son does that. And the father actually says, okay, if you want that, then you can have that. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this is the son who got his father's inheritance and blew it all. And now he has nothing, and he's physically hungry and in need. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he said to his son, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, he cuts him off. And he said to his servants, "Uh, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So we get this picture of Jesus telling this story about the son who has walked away. He's lost his identity. He has blown his, his inheritance, half of his father's wealth, in an act of, of just selfish recklessness. And he decides to try to go back and gain a kind of secondary uh, status in his father's household. And he goes back with this plan, and the father sees him far off, and he runs to him because he's filled with compassion. And he throws this huge celebration, kills the fattened calf, gives the best party he can give for his son to welcome him back. And what this first part of the story seems to be saying is, Jesus is telling these Pharisees and telling us today that we are... God's treasure. We are God's prize. God has his eye on a prize, and that prize is us. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, we are such a prize to God that if we will even think about going back to him, he will throw the biggest party that has ever been seen because we are his prize. Now, On to the second half of the story, which is about our race that we're running today. Because there are two sons. The younger one lost everything. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he hears the sounds of this wild party in the house. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look! These many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. (coughs) So, let's identify with this older son. He sees this party being thrown for this wasteful son. And he's frustrated. In his mind, it's simply not fair. You've never thrown this kind of party for me. And yet you have this younger son that has lost everything. I'm the good son. 
I've done everything that you've ever asked for me. Why don't I get that? Or if I only had that. Now, third question for you this morning. What's that fairness list for you? Man, if only I had that. If only I could have that. If only this wasn't happening to me. We all have it. Why can't I get that? Or why does that guy get that? Or why does she have that? Or why am I stuck with this? See, this is where Paul says, keep your eye on the prize. When you start to feel like that, you, you keep your eye on the prize. Now with the Father's response, we're going to learn about what the prize really is. And he said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. My daughter, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's as if he looks to us and he says, I've been with you this whole time. Everything you could possibly want, it's us. See, I think the first half of the parable, we see that we are God's prize. In the second half of the parable, God is saying, I am your prize. And so what he's saying to this son is, my son, <clears throat> as my son, you've had everything you could have possibly wanted the whole time. Don't look elsewhere. Don't look at these smaller things. Everything I have is yours. And we're always together. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. See, that's the prize. It's realizing that everything we could ever want, we actually have the whole time. Last week I talked about the 5K that I trained for and ran. Starting from no level of fitness whatsoever, no ability to run 3.1 miles. And the truth is, by the time I got to the race that day, I had already won the prize. I had all the benefits of being able to run a 5K. My blood pressure was way lower. I was in much better shape. I had much more energy. I had lost weight. I had felt good about achieving the goal of being able to run that far. I had everything by the time I got to the race. And in the same way, I think what God is saying is, when we look back over our life, we're going to realize that walking with God, being able to enter into the presence of God, that's the whole thing. That's what the whole thing is about. And these other things that we want or that we feel like we need or we feel like we can't get through, that wasn't even what it was about. It was about something much greater. <clears throat> so let me say it a different way. Do you remember in 2016, Game 7, Remember the Cavs championship in Game 7? Do you remember where you were and what you were doing if you were a Cavs fan or a Cleveland fan? I watched the game in my house with some friends over. 
I was miserable the whole game. I was a nervous wreck sitting comatose in a chair. At halftime, when we were down by seven, I had already resolved, this is done. This is hopeless. Golden State has the best record of any team ever in the history of the NBA. We're in their court. They've already beat us. Another loss. Another Cleveland failure. Okay? Then you watch and we come back and we tie it up. And I'm like, you know, I'm just all, I'm sitting like, you know, sitting like this. Hardly look. Just kind of, just trying to breathe my way through it. Then it was like, what was it, 98 to 98 for like five minutes, and we kept missing, then they would miss, and then there was the block, and then Kyrie hits the three, and then we win. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I bought, I bought the iTunes, I bought Game 7 on iTunes after we won, and I watched it over and over and over again. And what happened then? The worst parts became the best parts. Being down by seven, listening to the announcer say there's no chance, watching the Steph Curry shoulder shimmies, you know, the stuff that really irritated me during the first. I'm glad you couldn't see that if you're listening online. Um, but those became the best parts because I knew we won. I loved it, it was the best. I was in a bad mood, I'd go watch game seven. <laughs> the Bible speaks of a moment. If you look at uh, Colossians 1, or plenty of places in Scripture, it talks about the reconciliation of all things, the restoration and redemption of all things. Revelation talks about the day that God wipes every tear from our eyes and there's no more sadness, darkness, crying, or pain because the old order of things has passed away. At that moment, at that moment, I like to believe I will be able to look back over my life and I hope I can walk through my life again at that moment. And I, I, I just can imagine this sense of, oh, like what it would be like to spend 10 minutes with that Alex who's walked through the restoration of all things and then to relive all this stuff that we get stressed about. It's going to be that same game seven thing times a thousand to walk through those low points, to walk through those deaths, those cancer diagnoses, those job losses, those things that we spent so many nights. I mean, I would love to be able to go back and look at myself stressing at 3 a.m., not able to sleep, tossing and turning over some of those stupid little things as that guy there that has just walked through the restoration of all things. To go back and realize, what are you stressing about? And then to realize that we really, right now, get to walk through this life with the presence of God if we seek it, in friendship with Jesus if we seek it, I think what I'll realize is the prize is already right here, right now. The prize is friendship with God. The prize is living in the presence of God and everything we could have ever wanted, we already have right now. This is what it's all about, and we have it 
right now. So when we get stressed in this marathon, we focus on staying with the prize and realizing that everything we could ever want, we have right now already. That's the prize. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 13. I'm going to read it off this to save time. The kingdom of heaven, life with God, the divine, the realm of the divine, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, once you realize that the prize is right here and right now, the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the realm of the divine, once you realize that, that, that that's what it's all about, the love, the peace, the kindness, the generosity that God calls us to, once you realize that, you'll trade in everything else you've ever wanted, anything else you've ever been after, you'll trade it in to have something that you can already have right here right now. One final exercise for you. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. My daughter, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So what I'd like for you to do this week is to find some time and this is one of the things that the ancient Christians did all the time. They would breathe in and breathe out. And they would develop mantras that could go with their breathing. Breathe in, breathe out. And so I want you to try this. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. So you're breathing in and you're breathing out. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have. Is yours. So just try this one. So I want you to breathe in. And while you breathe in, I'm going to, my son or my daughter, my daughter, then breathe out. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Now, it'd be better if you had a real God voice like birthday boy Ron Eastwood. He's our resident God voice. I'm not, I, don't, I hope God doesn't sound like, like I do. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Like, what if that's what God sounds like when we... Um... <laughs> um, try to find some time this week. Especially if you're in the midst of a stressful season or have some big thing that you're just wrapped or like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest, this is the biggest, you're tangled, you're... <clears throat> you have just this insurmountable, all-encompassing, messy, whatever. Take some time, find some silence. My son or my daughter, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Just two to five minutes of breathing in, breathing out that truth from God's word, and let God reframe what it's all about. And I think you'll find, because there'll be some of you, and this is my last band and singers, you guys can come on up. This is my last thought of the day. There might be some of you who feel like, like there's no way that God would call you his son. There's no way that this is a message really for you. 
But I think if you'll silence yourself, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. There might be some of you that believe that God would never say that to you. But I think what you'll find, even if you have no walk with God, that if you take a few minutes and just breathe that in and kind of invite the presence of God, I think you'll be amazed at how rather than feeling like God is distancing himself from you, I think you'll feel open arms and you'll understand what a prize you really are to God and what a prize he really can be for you. Let's pray. Would you stand? (laughs) Father, you are our treasure and somehow we are yours. And I pray that in these closing moments, uh, your spirit would bind that part of our identity and your identity deep into our hearts as we run this race so that our eyes can be on the prize which we already have. In Jesus' name, amen.